Hey, I'd like to welcome you to another episode of Mission Matters. My name is Adam Torres, and if you'd like to apply to be a guest on the show, just head on over to missionmatters.com and click on Be Our Guest to Apply. All right, so today I have Douglas Elenoff on the line, and he is a partner over at Elenoff, Grossman, and Scholl, LLP. Douglas, welcome to the show. Thanks, Adam. Pleasure to be here. All right, so I'm excited. We're, we're going to the MicroCap Conference. Uh, it'll be my first time going out. For those that have been following the show for a long time, we've been doing a series of interviews leading up to the conference, and, and Doug's been you know gracious enough with his time to come out. Today, we're going to be talking about why are there so many fewer public companies? So, Doug, we're going to dive into that content and much more, but we'll start this episode like we start them all with what we like to call our Mission Matters Minute. So, Doug, we at Mission Matters, we amplify stories for entrepreneurs, executives, and experts. That's our mission. Doug, what mission matters to you? Well, I appreciate the question, Adam, because I think institutions, businesses, and professional services firm ought to have a, a mission or an orientation. And ours is straightforward. And actually, I think it goes right into your wheelhouse, which is our mission is to help facilitate financings for entrepreneurs. And if it happens to be in the private markets, that works for us. We're, today, we're talking about facilitating financings into a public company. And that's why we are doing it in front of the audience at the MicroCap conference with you. Mm, that's awesome. Love bringing mission-based individuals on the show to share why they do what they do, how they're doing, and what we can all learn from that. So great to have you on. And uh, first question, this is a hard one, Doug. Are you excited? I'm excited. I've never been to Lake City. I've been on the West Coast too long. Like, Are you excited to head out there? <laughs> I'm really looking forward. As you may or may not know, we are the lead sponsor for the conference. And after discussions with the primary conference promoter here, we decided that there are way too few venues for entrepreneurs who happen to reside in public companies to mm. tell investors and the audience what their businesses are and what the investment opportunity is. So, yes, uh, we're thrilled to be participating, joining, speaking, and attending. Yeah, I think it's going to be a great one. And it'll be my, my first year attending the conference. And we cover conferences, I mean, all over the place from the Milken Conference to Korea Conference to just a ton of different conferences. So to get to, to cover this, I mean, my heart, my, I mean, large organizations, all these other things. I mean, I, I like, I like covering and, and bringing different stories to, to our audience. But I, I mean, my dad was a small business owner growing up. And so the, the micro cap or the small cap or even the small business space, like to me, that just always has that special place in my heart where I'm like, man, I, I like, I love to see people do well. And also I see like the innovation that comes out of this space and just the ideas and everything else. And it's like, it's, it's, it, it's exciting to me. It's exhilarating. Well, having been a practicing securities lawyer for 30 years, what we've done to distinguish ourselves consistent with kind of the, the concept you just talked about mm -hmm. is help innovate financing techniques within the microcap universe to help align investors and entrepreneurs so that they can meet each other in a financeable opportunity. And whether or not that it's in a microcap public company arena, we also have helped innovate novel financing techniques, and you may have heard of some of them, called SPACs or pipes or registered mm -hmm. directs or ATMs. 
Those are all things that our firm has taken a leadership position in in order to help entrepreneurs raise money. Mm. So, so speaking high level, and and my audience already knows if you want, like at the end of this, well, you have the opportunity if you want to continue the conversation with with Doug and his team. Of course, like we'll leave some contact info at the end. But you know, speaking high level, what, what if we're thinking? Let's just dive right into the conversation. You know, pu- because you do work on both sides, the private and the publicly traded side, and in terms of helping entrepreneurs go whatever whichever route they choose, like you know, pros and cons, like, can you help kind of demystify some of this conversation for some of the, the executives that are out there listening to this or the entrepreneurs, like going public versus not? Certainly. I mean, if you are an entrepreneur and you've started a business, excuse me, and you have the type of investment opportunity that's attractive to the venture capital community or the private equity world, my hat's off to you. You have now put yourself on a track that gets you to the big leagues. And mm-hmm. financing should be cheaper. It should be more available to you. But that is for such a slim minority of the potential entrepreneurs that are your audience that mm-hmm. I don't dismiss it. I credit them. And uh, I think it's fabulous that that whole world it has emerged while on the other hand, and it's really an inverse of the public market opportunity, which used to be the holy grail of doing IPOs and getting public and raising money mm-hmm. there. Over the last 30 years, the number of public companies in the U.S. markets has been halved. And that's because the private markets, to avoid the complexity of U.S. regulations and the cost of capital and the mm-hmm. attention diversion that it takes to manage a public company, it's in many ways, easier and better for many to go the venture capital private equity route. But for those mm-hmm. who don't have the luxury of making it to the big leagues and how you know few people make it to the major leagues or the NBA or the NHL, I'm a hockey guy, uh, mm-hmm. versus the rest of the field. It doesn't mean you're not a, a solid citizen or you don't have a solid opportunity or maybe you're even misunderstood or you're too early in your investment thesis. Mm-hmm. Uh, the public markets actually provide an alternative way of raising money once you're public. Well, there's a traditional IPO where Mm -hmm. you raise money and you enter the public markets with an underwriter. There are other mechanisms called reverse mergers, which we've done for 30 years, where a private company is is becoming acquired by a public shell and doing a simultaneous financing. That is an interesting technique that you only see in the microcap world. A cousin to that that has become well-known and is written a lot about in business publications is the SPAC program, which stands for Special Purpose Acquisition Corporation, which is another way of taking a private company public, is another way of doing it. They're direct listings. And once you're public, the universe of investors that the entrepreneur now through the public company can access is much broader than in the private world. And so many people choose to go public, notwithstanding the regulations, the potential for litigation, which we'll talk about. They want the access to the capital and and the Mm -hmm. number of investors that sit out there. Deploying capital to those sorts of companies is vast. And so that's why the microcap conference, as well as uh, what we do as a mission, is important for the U.S. entrepreneurial ecosystem. Mm. 
I want to I want to stick kind of in the in the beginning of that conversation just a little bit longer before we move on. So um, let's just kind of build that scenario out a little bit, just a little bit more. So you know, I'm 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 listening to this podcast and and I'm thinking about different things. Maybe I've I've only heard. The other route, which is to, you know, go start, you know, down talking to VCs or private equity or just trying to figure it out and trying to go that route. And now you're listening to this podcast and you're like, you know, I didn't even really haven't really considered going public, you know, like like strongly like that's not something that's because is because I agree with you, by the way. And I, I didn't know that that number was that dramatic, by the way, that it's halved. But I can just think about like in the entre. I grew up in finance. I mean, I started at my first financial company when I was um, um, 16, right? I was in the business almost 14 years. And when I was growing up, so just for context, that's all I remember. Like in those days was like, you know, people, that was the dream to start your company, make it big, investors, IPO, like that was the dream. And now I'd say at least the last 10 years, at least in my circles, like, I rarely hear somebody kind of even having that conversation, not very often. And I don't know the reasoning. I'm not claiming I do. Everybody's a little different. But if somebody is kind of newer to the idea, like what are some of the, I don't want to assume anything. What are some of the benefits of them? Maybe, you know, looking under that rock a little bit longer on whether or not going publicly traded makes sense for them. So we're not talking about startups for the most part. Startups are more properly profiled for the venture capital or seed investing community. We're Mm -hmm. talking about companies that are more mature, that have in many ways already established their business models, but they are – and they're not social media phenomena. You've never heard of many of them. But they're nice businesses with real revenue earnings, probably in most cases. They're just not going to be the next. Use whatever bad example you want. (laughs) Plug and play there. The audience knows enough of them. I agree. (laughs) Exactly. These are companies that could could double, triple if they had the Mm -hmm. right amount of capital. And Mm -hmm. there are smaller underwriters that take these companies public. In the last many years, you've seen a lot of businesses out of the out of the Far East that went public this way. Mm-hmm. Apple at one time, when it did a $10 million IPO, would have been a similar company. Mm-hmm. Uh, but there are lots of small underwriters around the country who are all credible, but just not known the way the bulge bracket firms are, who take mm-hmm. companies out that need to raise, call it five to $25 million. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's a process. I'm not going to say it's as easy as finding a VC and having them write you a check. You have to file documentation called disclosure documents with the Securities and Exchange Commission. You have to have your financials audited. It's, it's a burdensome process. But for those yeah. that successfully enter the public markets that way, they now have much greater visibility to do many different things, including attract capital from retail investors, which you cannot do through mm-hmm. the private markets. That's not attractive to some people. But if you happen to be a well-known online company and you have an audience that uses your products and services, they may end up wanting to support you by buying shares in your public opportunity. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So and that's inter- one of the ways. Sorry. 
No, no, you're great. And it's interesting that you say that because it, just to kind of juxtapose that or like if we, you know, take it back a little bit and just it's equivalent to if you're, you know, original McDonald's, right? You eat McDonald's and you may want to buy buy some and hold it, right? And, and, and buy the stock. So just giving the, your, your fan base or your client base, I should say, for money companies, the opportunity to, to purchase into that relationship. I think it's, it's unique. And it's not something that I think everybody always considers. And you mentioned, you mentioned something in terms of, in terms of like once you go that route, obviously there's more compliance, more things. And I'm using that word compliance, but you, you explained it slightly differently. But is some of this stuff overstated? I don't want to, and I don't even know if I'm using the right word in answering that, but is some of that overstated or is it more like when you, you know, you, you, have all of those procedures, everything that need, that goes in line and you finally are over that hurdle. Like, like, give me a view from your point of view. Like, is some of that overstated? I hope I'm asking, I hope well, I'm asking yeah, that right. <laughs> no, you're asking the right question. But it, so let's distinguish between the routine aspects of that, such mm. as assembling an IPO registration statement or the equivalent document. That's a document that is the biography of that company, the opportunity, mm-hmm. the people involved, the historic numbers, the operations, and the risks associated with that transaction. So for some business people who have not spent much time in the public markets, that can mm-hmm. be daunting. I, I think most people who just put their the, put in the effort they will find that it's actually a good discipline to go through. They understand their business better, or they, mm. but they end up having to work with lawyers and accounting firms and transfer agents and IR investor relations firms and going to conferences like the one we're talking about in order yeah. to tell the story. But And not everybody's comfortable publicly speaking, but I do think that that is good once they've come through that process. But it, I don't want to underestimate what that means to an entrepreneur yeah. to do that. On the other hand, just because there's a corollary to that, one of the things that is completely overstated is the litigation risk profile to people entering the public markets. The amount mm. of litigation that goes on within the microcap world, as opposed to large cap companies where plaintiffs' lawyers want to go after them because there's a lot of money to be had, yeah. in microcap land, that's just not the case. It does happen, but it's not nearly as pervasive as many uh, commentators might make it seem to be. Hmm. I always wondered this, and I mean, you just you have the you have a unique vantage point, and I I was just thinking from. Because I've had this conversation before. So, you know, having and there's no right or wrong here, obviously. I just your your opinion. You've seen a lot of different types of entrepreneurs and I'm sure I'm sure it it varies. But the thought process of having, you know, one or two, you know, venture capital partners. So you kinda almost have those those two pressure points versus or or you know, eight thousand investors all of a sudden, right? Like if you if you're lucky, right? And you, and you have a nice spread out pool or whatever the amount of investors is that you someone would claim is a success. Like there there are two different types of pressures, right? I don't think one's better or worse than the other. They're just kind of different. And care to like give your thought on that? Yeah, I'll keep with the the sports analogies. You know, yeah. there's different jockeys for each horse race, right? There yeah. <laughs> are many, like a lot of companies that go public, started off venture backed, and the entrepreneurs 
uh, may have enjoyed that process and discipline as well, but they like the they have a release release relief once they go public because now they and an independent board of directors are controlling that opportunity, not the VCs that got them there. In many cases in microcap land, you're correct. I think your observation is a really important one. A lot of entrepreneurs haven't raised venture funding for the reasons you and I talked about previously. <laughs> and they have raised money from friends and family and maybe angel funds and things like that. And now they go public and they are public. <laughs> well, they're accountable, accountable yeah. to the 8,000 public. public invest public. Yes. Yeah. But it's diffuse. So no one of them, not one of them tells them what to do. All of them do. And yeah. I think that it, it depends on what type of a jockey you are. There's not mm-hmm. one size fits all to that answer. Yeah, I figured. I just I had to get your insight of that because I, I I actually don't. I I go back and forth. I guess it re, it depends on the day, right? <laughs> for me, or I should say, for me, it depends on the day. <laughs> yeah, well, um, some of us, and I can't speak to you, Adam, don't like to report to other people, and so it's probably better to have a thousand shareholders you report to. Fair. Fair. Doug, you mentioned, you know, one of the things that you specialize in your your team is is in is in different financing options. Did I did I catch that correctly? Like that's one yes, of the things. Do you care to maybe go into that a little bit? Yes. Well, you know, in addition to representing a hundred public companies, that's the current number, give or take, that we represent. Along the way, we realized that consistent again with our mission that we wanted to help uh, entrepreneurs become public. So one of the ways that we specialized in doing that 30 years ago when it was not in favor was a thing, a technique called a reverse merger, as I mentioned, where a private company would merge with a shell and you'd also do a simultaneous financing, sometimes called it, back in those days, it was just a private placement. It became known as a pipe. Now it's known as a registered direct um, or some structured private investment. And through that experience, which we did for many years and helped create some of our own current clients, we came across another program called a PIPE, as I mentioned, which stands for a private private investment in public equities. And we took a leadership position in that when, again, it was out of favor with most law firms, investment banks. But we worked with those people who thought it was a legitimate form of financing. And so we've been doing that for over 20 years. So we work with lots of banks and investors supplying the capital to the public markets. And we've improved upon that. And one of the improvements that we've worked on with the industry as well and other law firms and investment bankers is the iteration called registered directs, which is just a registered pipe, which means that the investors now have securities that they can buy and sell. And along the way, 20 years ago, The cousin to the reverse merger is what we started working on, which was called a SPAC. And back in those days, it was under a rule called Rule 419, which it still is today, but nobody was aware of it. Nobody talked about it. It wasn't really known Mm -hmm. as any kind of financing or go public technique. And we devoted a tremendous amount of time and energy with others to make that into an industry as we head with the pipes business and the RD business. And you wake up two years ago and the SPAC program became primetime success. And we closed 147 SPAC IPOs in 2021. Wow. <laughs> it was an insane number. And 
So you we were behind those bad. headlines. There was a ton exactly. of headlines. I remember. Yeah, we're, we were the we're the number doing one. all this. It was you. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we we had large market share. That's, That's true. No, but but we learned how to build these programs and get visibility for them. Another one that you may be aware of that we spent a decade working on, and we worked with the regulators on it was the Jobs Act and the crowdfunding rules. Mm-hmm. That's all us. And so wow. we are committed uniquely, I think, unlike any other law firm in the country, to help create these techniques to make it easier, whether it's in the private markets, the public markets, to get money into the hands of deserving entrepreneurs to make sure they have the capital to grow their their opportunities. And the capital to grow their opportunities. I mean, I th- I think that's a good way to end it, Doug. That being said, if, if somebody wants to, I know we just we just started, you know, a tip of the iceberg on this one. And some of the people listening are they were trying to take notes. They're gonna listen to this again. They're gonna they're gonna you know write down their right. notes and start doing Google searches. Right? Yeah, do that. But that being said, when you're done with all that, Doug, how do people get in touch with your team? They have choices. They can go on our website, which is the law firm's initials EGS Edward George Sam. LLP for Limited Liability Partnership, so EGSLLP.com, or they can go on my LinkedIn account and see me at Douglas Ellenoff, or they can do something very old school, Adam. They can pick up the phone and say hi. Hoorah. <laughs> do it. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> well, appreciate that. And to the audience, hey, if you haven't done it yet, hit that subscribe button. I don't I don't know what you're waiting for. Hit it. It's a great conversation. Doug coming on today, sharing his expertise. We have many more mission-based individuals coming up on the line. So hit that subscribe button. And Doug, again, thanks again. And hey, looking forward to seeing you at the conference. Likewise, Adam. Thank you very much. And my best to your audience.